Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Welcome back to season five of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. It's a little bit slow of a season. It's mostly because I'm slow. I'm in my third trimester. I'm expecting number four for those of you who don't know. So, you know, things are slow. I'm slow. I move slow and uh, no big deal. Anyway, we are back at it here in season five, talking to Abby Johnson today. Some of you probably, I hope, know about her. If you don't, you're going to really enjoy learning about Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson's a CEO and founder of And Then There Were None, which is a very unique pro-life ministry. It's designed to assist abortion clinic workers come out of the industry and they find them other jobs and training and financial help. They the whole gamut. It's really, really, really great. Now, you know, to date, that ministry has has helped over 300 workers, abortion workers, leave the abortion industry, which is phenomenal. So, so great. Abby is, uh, on top of all the amazing things that she does in the pro-life movement, she's also a wife and a mama to seven. That's right. You heard me right. Seven. Seven kids. The last two kids are twin girls that are... <laughs> that are 10 months old, which I just find amazing and great. She's so, so fun. I have been able to work alongside Abby over the years at conferences, and I've been able to meet her and chat with her. And she's just one of those girls that you just love to be around. You know, there's people when you see them on stage and you see them talking or you see them on social media and then you meet them in person, they're just a little bit different, right? They're, it, you know, they have like their 
professional persona. And then, you know, off to the side, they're just a little bit different. That's definitely not the case with Abby. Abby is as real on stage and on social media as you see her in person, which I really respect completely. She's so, she's honest and she's sincere and she doesn't pull any punches when she talks about, well, pretty much anything. So we are talking today and I get to talk to Abby about her life and kind of her experience. She worked in the abortion industry herself as a director of one of the Planned Parenthood clinics. She left and then she goes on to kind of experiencing why she left, how she left, and really what she's doing now. And uh, she gives us a lot of somber but good information about what's going on. What are the current issues going on in the pro-life movement today? So this is great. Abby is has given us a ton of good information. At the end, just so you know, it does go a little bit lighter and we get to talk about Abby as being a convert to Catholicism and all of the all of the funny and weird things she thinks of Catholics today as being a Catholic herself. So it's actually really enjoyable to hear from her there. All right. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to listen and learn from the fantastic, the talented, the beautiful Abby Johnson. All right. Welcome back, friends, and welcome to the podcast and a very special welcome to the fantastic Abby Johnson. Abby, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, I cannot wait. I've been I've been waiting to talk to you for so long. So I'm so happy <laughs> we're able to nail you down. You are quite the busy gal and rightfully so, even beyond what you do with the organization and then there were none, you also are a busy mama too. I am. Yeah. I've got seven kiddos and youngest are almost ten month old twins, twin girls. So yes, we, we are very busy around here with kids and birthdays and parties and yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, I can only imagine. I have three going on four right now, but especially with those last two, I think that's the last time I saw you Well, we were at some conference someplace and you were, I I think you were, were you, were you pregnant with your, with your twin girls at that time? Yeah. I was pregnant with the girls. Mm -hmm. That's right. I thought so. And that was, that's so amazing. So Yes. So needless to say, you got a lot going on, which is amazing and so great that you continue to do the work that you're doing, especially for mamas out there and women out there who are in such need. So we're going to, I mean, the conversation today is obviously a little heavy anytime you talk about abortion, but I kind of wanted to start with, with you and your story for, for those who don't know. And I know, I know for those who do, it's you never get old. I've heard your story a million times. And each time I willingly sit down and listen again, it's so amazing and incredibly inspiring. Um, I learn something new every single time I hear it. But could you kind of just, you know, give us the abbreviated version of kind of like where where you were and, and back in, you know, 2001 and all the way until you left the abortion industry in 2009 and kind of where you're at now? Yeah. So I got involved with Planned Parenthood in 2001. I was a college student and didn't know much about the organization. They told me they were a women's health group. I thought that sounded great. And so got involved with them, ended up getting employed by them when I graduated college, and then became the clinic director for the facility where I worked and then was there for eight years. Ended up leaving in 2009 after a few things. One, being told to double the abortion quota that we had in our facility, the number of abortions that we had to sell. And then ultimately, though, I left in October of 2009 after 
witnessing a live ultrasound guided abortion procedure. And I saw a 13-week-old baby fight and struggle for his life. And I knew then that two things were true, that there was humanity in the womb and that this was an individual human life. And I knew that if those two things were true, then I was on the wrong side of this debate. And so, you know, I left and really never looked back and have been speaking out since then, talking about what's going on inside the abortion industry, the exploitation of women inside the industry. And then a few years ago, started an organization to help other people, people like me, who work in the abortion clinics, who maybe want to leave, I found an organization to help get them out and get them on a pathway of healing. So yeah, so that's sort of my my story wrapped up. So they, I mean, I know, I know we've heard this before, but just to hear from like your perspective of actually being there, you had to sell abortions. I mean, are abortions, I mean, you had to double your numbers of trying to get women, I mean, if a woman came in pregnant and was on, was not sure about abortion. I mean, would would that be pressured? Would she be pressured to consider that option? Yes, definitely. You know, we were pretty high pressure. We were salespeople. So, I mean, abortion is, it's a product that they're selling to their clients. So just like, you know, if you go and you're trying to find a used car, you know, you're, you are graded on your performance of how well you're able to sell this product to people coming in. So it's pretty easy, honestly, to, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's pretty easy to sell an abortion to a woman who is scared and vulnerable and feeling alone. And honestly, the easiest group of people to sell an abortion to are women who identify as Christian because of the shame and the guilt that they feel and disappointment because now, you know, if they're not married, now all of a sudden their sin, right, is public. And so that was probably the easiest group of women to to convince to have an abortion. Jeez. So let me ask you this. As an abortion worker in your past, like would your pay or your raises be based on how many abortions you could sell? Yes. So we, I mean, as a manager, I got bonuses based on, well, based on the the amount of quotas that we could hit. So if we did really well and I was able to, you know, sell a lot of abortions and in my clinic, my staff were able to sell a lot of abortions, then yes, I was definitely rewarded for that. Wow. So those clinics that had lower numbers, those employees probably had a lower salary or lower or no bonuses at all. Right. Correct. Wow. Wow. All right. So what you're doing now, though, so you have gotten out and now you're helping people get out on their own. One thing I have noticed about you, and it's not that hard to notice if you take a quick look at your websites, but is how much you focus as well as helping helping women get out of the abortion industry, especially workers, abortion workers, but also the focus on mercy and forgiveness. I recall reading something that you have posed that you posted on Facebook somewhat recently about you re- remembering while you were still an abortion worker, 
a woman, you know, kind of chastising you, telling you you're like this terrible mother because you work there. Mm-hmm. And then she saw you later after you left the abortion clinic and she gave you this big hug, but there was just, there was no apology. There was nothing. And in what you had posted on Facebook about this is that you knew that you still had to show her mercy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. Well, you know, I think that it's a strange cycle of dehumanization that has taken over our country. And this also is crept into the pro-life movement. So I think anytime there is a tragedy, people look for someone to blame. That's just natural. And so for abortion, you know, in the 70s, when abortion became legal in 1973 across this, across the country, people were looking for someone to blame naturally. And so you know, they said, well, gosh, we're going to blame these mothers because how selfish of them to go in and take the lives of their baby, you know, don't they know, blah, blah. And then in the mid 80s and early 90s, the pregnancy center movement really came up and they changed the narrative. They changed the discussion and they said, you know, look, we can't just blame these women. We've got to help these women. If, you know, we can't save the baby if we don't help their mom. And so, that sort of changed the discussion. And then it became more of like a pro-woman, pro-baby focus. But then people said, well, now who do we blame, (laughs) right? So we're not going to blame the mom. So then now who? And so I think the natural group of people then to fall into that category of blame are people who work inside of abortion clinics. Right. And so what we saw then was this dehumanization take place of the workers and the abortion doctors inside the clinic. So what happened was we then, as a pro-life movement, did the same thing to the workers as we accused them of doing to the babies, right? So we're accusing them of dehumanizing the unborn while we ourselves are dehumanizing the workers, calling them monsters, calling them baby killers, saying terrible things about them, making rude comments, saying things like this woman said to me, oh, you must be a terrible mother. How embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think that that's natural. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to really change that narrative to say, look, we're not fighting against people here. We're fighting against a system, right? A culture of death. We're fighting against this systemic abuse of women and their children inside the abortion industry. It's not any one group of people's fault. And so, you know, when things like that happen, and and look, that's not the only time it's happened. I mean, I've had, I had a guy who, when I worked at the clinic, he would send letters. He's a pro-life guy. He would send postcards and things to my neighborhood. He sent postcards to my parents' neighborhood, you know, basically comparing me to a child molester, saying the children weren't safe around me, calling me, you know, fat, making comments like that. And then when I left the clinic, I had to see him, right? right. And he he was there to say, oh, yay, now you left. And I had to look at him and show him mercy. I mean, what I really wanted to do was like poke him in the in the eye, but... <laughs> I had to show him mercy because sometimes the best way to teach someone mercy is to show them mercy. 
And so that's, it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard, but sometimes that's really the only thing that you can do that fits in line with what we're trying to do here in the pro-life movement. Yeah. Now, within the pro-life movement, nothing's perfect. Obviously, we live in a broken world with broken people. So even our good efforts are still somewhat flawed at times. Within the pro-life movement, you know, taking going off on a little bit of a tangent here, for me sometimes, since I don't work directly inside the pro-life movement, like within a one organization, definitely support all, but I sometimes as an outsider can look in and it seems like there's all this, you know, infighting, you know, like Mm -hmm. not fighting, but like just this kind of like frustration of like hitting heads of one organization over another organization. And it seems like there seems to be sometimes a fight of like, who's going to be the group who's going to put Mm -hmm. their name on the stamp of saying we ended abortion. Do you feel that working inside the pro-life movement yourself? Yeah, you know, it was funny. When I left Planned Parenthood, we are such a united cause. I mean, you've got, you know, NARAL and NOW and NAF and, you you know, you have these different organizations and they sort of all follow the big ship of Planned Parenthood. And by and large, Planned Parenthood is the one coming out with talking points and, you know, ways to respond to different things that are going on in the media. And, well, so I, I, I came into the pro-life movement and I was thinking, wow, you know, just this, I'm coming into the Christian movement now. So we were so <laughs> united on that side. I can't imagine like this is just going to be all rainbows and, you know, fluffy and fun and awesome. And wow, I was in for a very rude awakening. You know, I think it's it's important for us to remember that no one group is going to be able to take credit and say, we ended abortion. No one person is going to be able to do that. I mean, it is truly going to take all of us getting involved, churches getting involved, lay people getting involved, everyone doing their part. And, you know, really the, the argument is over like technique. You know, what's the best way to end abortion? Do we do it all at one time? Do we work through the court system? Do we run into abortion clinics and break laws and trespass? Or do we stand on the sidewalk and peacefully advocate for the women going in? You know, it's just, it's it's all about these different approaches to how we're going to end abortion. And, you know, it's not surprising to me, I guess, that there is so much disunity in the pro-life movement because, you know, if you look at the pro-choice movement and you you see who's sort of at the head of their movement, right? And that's, I mean, not to be dramatic, but that's Satan, right? I mean, right. he is at the head of their movement and they are essentially knowing or unknowingly working for his plan. And so there's no reason to cause disruption, right? in their movement, because he already has them exactly where he wants them. Yet in the pro-life movement, he's very busy over here, making us turn against each other and, you know, oh, you have a better idea. This is a terrible idea. And the problem is not that there is this sort of exchange of different ideas. The problem is that we allow ourselves to fall for this evil and to really go at one another. 
instead of saying, hey, that's a different technique and that's not something I would ever do. And I'm not sure that that's the most effective, but hey, you know, they're doing something for the pro-life movement. So go do it. Instead of doing that, we start fighting with each other. It's, it's everywhere, Leah. I mean, it's even, I'm an NFP instructor and it's in the NFP, you know, world. <laughs> You know, this method's better than the no, this method is better. No, this will get you pregnant. This won't. I mean, it's just everywhere. Anywhere that there are competing ideas, there's going to be some form of, you know, disunity there. And, you know, we've got to really look at ourselves and look at what we're doing and saying, okay, you know, we need to keep our eye on the prize. Is this going to move us closer, you know, is it going to move us further down the field and closer to our goal? Or are we just falling into the trap now of being disgruntled with one another and, you know, getting to a position where we don't want to work with this person or we don't like this person or whatever. And I think that's something that is a challenge in any movement that is particularly Christian because Satan is there trying to wreak havoc with what we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the more that he can busy us with getting pissy with other people or uh, other groups or techniques like you, like you mentioned, the more that we're not doing what Christ is calling us to do at that time and place in our life. So absolutely. I'm glad to hear it only because uh, I feel the same with sometimes within my own industry or, or a little specialty, whatever it might be, that there's just sometimes all of this silly stuff. And at the end of the day, you're just like, it doesn't even matter. Like, just get over it, right? Okay, so moving on really quickly, I want to hear hear your thoughts about Cecile Richards and her uh, stepping down as the uh, head honcho of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, you know, that was interesting. Not unsurprising. She's had a difficult few years with all of the defunding efforts, State, you know, different states having defunding efforts. And then, of course, the congressional investigation. And so it wasn't wasn't too surprising to me. However, it is concerning to me. It was so weird because I saw these people. They were like, yay, Cecile is leaving Planned Parenthood. And I'm like, it's not like she had some sort of conversion, y'all. She's leaving because she's (laughs) tired. And what's scary about that to me is that they will replace her with someone that is younger and has more fire and isn't, you know, sort of beaten down like she has been. And so, and I'm like, I don't know, 99% sure that they will replace her with a woman of color to try to rally that base. So there's, there's actually some talk about Wendy Davis. What? Replacing her, but I don't know. She's sort of oldish. And um, I don't know that they would put her in, but that has been really heavily circulated that she's in the running. Oh, geez. And I mean, she has nothing else to do. So her book was sort of a flop and she's, you know, was unseated here in Texas. So I I don't know. So I'm not sure, but I'm, you know, so I don't know. I'd I'd rather have tired old Cecile rather than, you know, a new fresh face who's sort of ready to fight. But I I think my hope in all of that is that now that she's going to be stepping away from this daily role at Planned Parenthood, that, you know, in her times of quiet, that she will have a time of reflection over her years there. And that that 
quiet will be an opportunity for God to pierce through and for her to, you know, have some moments with him and really come to grips with what she's been a part of. You know, I do not believe that she is too far gone for God to reach her. I don't believe anybody is too far gone for God to reach. And so I'm, you know, constantly praying for her conversion and praying that God would be able to reach through. Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food, and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a Theology of Beauty pilgrimage to Italy this July 2018 with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the famous cooking priest. We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th. And there are uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last. So you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadero.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out and I'll see you in Italy. So Abby, you are quite the advocate for everything pro-woman, pro-child, pro-life. And you, I love your Facebook because you constantly keep us updated on a million different things that are going on that, but I think most people probably wouldn't know. And more than likely, I think in some ways the abortion industry doesn't want us to know. One of the Mm -hmm. new things that you posted recently, which I had to stop and sit down literally at, (laughs) after I saw this on my phone to go to my desktop and be like, I need to see, I need to find out more about this is these webcam abortions. Can you let us know what this is? I imagine that this is going to be new news for everybody listening or most people listening about what is a webcam abortion. Okay. So, okay. So let me just sort of back up here. So it's a couple of weeks ago and then there were none released a website called checkmyclinic.org. This is designed to reach women who might be considering abortion so that they can go to their state and then click on their local abortion clinic and look at the state inspection health reports from that clinic. And so they're disgusting, by the way. I mean, they're, I, I can't even believe that states allow them to continue to operate under these conditions, but whatever they do. But we feel like, you know, an informed woman is an empowered woman. And these women have the right to know that, you know, their safety and the public safety is at risk when they walk into these facilities. And so we wanted to get this information out there. So one of the things that kept coming up over and over again in these inspection reports was they were citing failures during webcam abortions, various, you know, things that they were finding. So webcam abortions first came on the scene in about uh, 2001, and they were piloted in Iowa. And now they've, they've sort of spread out all across the country. But basically what it is, is a doctor in a larger facility. So what it, in Iowa, it was, you know, a doctor in Sioux City, Iowa is sitting behind a computer and there is on the other, other end of that webcam, there is a woman sitting in a rural 
Planned Parenthood facility, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. And they would be on the webcam and they would be talking and the doctor would say, okay, are you ready to take your abortion pill? And the woman on the other line would say yes. And the doctor then would push a button on her keyboard. And when she pushed that button in rural city, Iowa, where the woman was sitting, a cash drawer would pop open. And in the cash drawer was the first pill to begin the medication abortion regimen. There's a series of pills I have to take. The first pill is what actually starves the baby and kills the baby. So then the woman takes the first pill. The clinic staff gives her the other sets of pills. She goes home. She takes the pills at home. She has the abortion at her home. And many of these locations were at least 45 minutes away from an emergency care center. So we're talking about women who have the potential of hemorrhaging. The risk of medication abortion compared to surgical abortion, medication abortion risks are significantly higher. The serious complication rate for medication abortion was found to be about 20%. So these women have the risk of hemorrhaging and they're 45 minutes from an ER or more. Well, in 45 minutes, I mean, you could bleed to death. Yeah, easy. But this is sort of what's sweeping the country because a doctor can literally do this from anywhere. They can do it. They've now set it up where they can do it from their home. They can do it through satellite, you know, via cell phone. They can do it anywhere. And this is how the the reason they did it this way with the cash store and everything was because Iowa law said that it had to be the doctor that actually dispensed the medication. And so this is the way that they got around the law because it was the doctor who actually pushed that button that opened the cash store. And these women now, medication abortion is about 25% of abortions nationwide. They are looking to increase that to about 75% because there's less physician oversight. They have to pay their physicians less to do the medication abortion. So they're hoping that within you know the next 10 years, that the medication abortion regimen will make up about 75% of abortions. You can do the medication abortion up through 12 weeks pregnancy at most facilities. Some facilities do it even later. So we're talking about potentially a fully formed 12-week-old baby, a woman laboring at her home, sometimes alone, expelling her 12-week-old baby, and then what? Then flushing the baby down the toilet because what else do you do? I mean, it's not like the abortion clinic wants it back. And so that's that's what's happening all over the country today. We're seeing an uptick of these procedures across the country. Abby, how do you how do you being a part of just being in the know and kind of keeping your finger on the pulse on this, so to speak, how do you deal with it emotionally? I mean, I just I hear these stories, I'm listening, my heart's breaking, I'm shaking my head, I'm just like, oh dear God, help us. Jesus come back now. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, just like, I just want to know from you, woman to woman, like, how do you handle this? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, some days it's completely overwhelming. But I, I remember a friend of mine was friends with Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was a very famous abortionist back in the 60s and 70s. And he then later had a conversion. He put out the documentary called The Silent Scream in the mid 80s helped hundreds of abortion doctors leave the clinics 
after they saw the silent scream, because ultrasound technology at that time was very new. So a friend of mine, though, was good friends. His sense passed, and he actually died a Catholic. And a friend of mine had asked him, you know, Bernard, how do you deal with this burden? And he just, he looked at my friend and he said, I just don't. I just, I can't. Because if I did, I don't think I would ever come up from it. And, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, I've worked through it all. And there's a part of me that also feels like maybe I don't allow myself to feel the weight of this because it is so heavy. And so it is sort of a, I don't know, a defense mechanism in a way. I don't know. I mean, I think whatever it is, I think it's just, you know, God has called me to do this for some freaking reason. And <laughs> I just have to keep doing it. And he gives me the grace that I need to keep doing it and not get bogged down and to not really feel the set. It's not that I don't feel, I mean, I'm not like some robot, but I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it. I just don't feel the burden like I think other people do because God's given me this task. And I just, I don't know, I just have to stay on task um, in order to complete it. And I feel like some of it is just his grace that's allowing me to do it. Amen. Yeah. Maybe he's holding that burden for you so you can get to work. Yeah. And do what you need to do. Who knows? Whatever it is, God has definitely given you a grace and a gift. I mean, you are a gift to so many people, obviously, in the pro-life movement, of course, but you're a gift, obviously, to your husband and your babies. And, you know, your contribution there is going to be so impactful. Just with those sweet seven babies of yours and, and your great husband, you are, you're a convert to the Catholic faith, correct? I am. Yeah, we're the best converts. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I married a convert. And so I do agree. I think y'all are the best. It's I always go, I always talk to Ricky and I'm like, Ricky, what should I say? Or how should I say this? He's like, and he's got the best perspective because he was an outsider for so long. And so he's like, okay, I think you should go this route. And it's, it's always a home run whenever I take a convert's advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I guess because I don't know. I find most converts are pretty passionate about their faith, sometimes a little too passionate. And, you know, we, but I think it's because like we chose it, right? Like we read the, we read the books and we read the writings of the early church fathers and we've looked through the catechism and we went through IC, RCIA, and we, you know, all these things. And so it was like a conscious decision that we had to make to say, yeah, this is all right. But yeah, I mean, my daughter, this is funny. Okay. So my daughter is the holiest person in our, in our family. She's amazing. So the other day, and she's from a little kid, like from five, she told me that like she was discerning entering religious life. Like <laughs> I'm telling you, like, it's amazing. Like she's the coolest kid ever. Okay. So, so the other day she was with a friend of hers and so the mom, the mom, mom and I are like best friends. And so mom comes over the other day and she's like, yeah, she's like, Grace slapped Tabitha, my daughter. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, she slapped her. I think she was saying something about the Catholic church. So I go and I talk to Grace and I'm like, did you slap Tabitha? And she says, yes. And I said, well, why did you slap her? And she said, well, because she was just saying things that were really rude about the Catholic Church, about how 
it's weird that we couldn't have candy on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, this is Ash Wednesday, right? <laughs> and how, you know, we can't eat meat on Fridays. And she just doesn't understand Christ's sacrifice. And it's just really rude. And I just wanted her to stop talking bad about the Catholic Church. And so I slapped her to get her to be quiet. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, Grace. <laughs> she, she's like a second century Christian. She's... I was like, she needs to be like a nun with a ruler, right? Like, <laughs> don't give that girl a ruler. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, Grace. So then I like had to, you know, tell her, I was like, Grace, I'm sorry to tell you this, but this is going to be your whole life. Like, people, they think what they don't understand is weird. And a lot of people don't understand the Catholic Church. And so, this is going to be the rest of your life. I mean, you can't go around slapping everybody that doesn't understand the Catholic Church. Like <laughs> you have to you have to learn your faith and you have to learn to defend your faith. And she was like, "Okay, you know." But and that was the one thing that I learned too because when I became Catholic, you know, I'm a public speaker, so when I became Catholic, all of a sudden I had these pregnancy centers canceling mm. my events because for whatever reason, the USCCB put it out in a press release that I was becoming Catholic, like weird. Okay. So they did. And then it got out publicly. And so not that I was trying to hide it, but I mean, it just, you know, really got out before I even become Catholic. And then, and so I had these groups calling my agent and saying, you know, we want a Christian speaker. Oh, and so we need to cancel. And I'm like, Okay. I was like, and so one lady actually called back and she said that to me. And I said, well, that's great. I mean, we were the first Christians. So that's fantastic. I'll fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't appreciate that. But anyway, so it's just, you know, it is, I mean, it is a struggle. And, but most, I mean, my, my hope and my prayer is that, you know, through my witness as a Catholic, that I'll be able to help people that are, you know, not Catholic understand a little bit more about the church and understand that you know, the beauty of the Catholic church and that we do have a relationship with God and that we're not sitting around worshiping statues and, you know, all of these misunderstandings that people have about the faith. I mean, my hope is that through my public platform, I'll be able to really help people understand better what the Catholic church is and what we're about. Amen. Amen. So who was your confirmation saint that you chose? St. Mary Magdalene. Oh, girl, she's Um, mine too. Oh, really? Yes. She's my girl. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. I call upon her off. Me Um, too. Now, listen, have you been to France? Uh, I, to France? I have not. I want to go, but we did actually, so funny story. We, we went to Mother Teresa's canonization. I was there too. Were you? I was. Oh, wait, you went on a pilgrimage thing, right? You had people go with you? Yeah. Oh yeah. So did I. Yeah. So we had said, you know, look, that was a a fertile window for us. And so we, you know, had prayed and said, you know, we'd love to conceive here in Rome. And so we did. And that's how we got our twins. Oh, my God. So amazing. I saw that there was this thing that if you conceive a baby in Rome, there's some hotel that will like give you free, a free vacation or whatever. And I was like, well, I conceived too. (laughs) So (laughs) like double the time, (laughs) I still need to inquire about that. 
But I have no idea. I've, this is new news to me. So all I know is I'm going to book a trip to Rome with Rookie here, and we're gonna hopefully <laughs> for the, you know forget about frequent flyer miles. Let's just get another trip to Rome. Let's just have another baby. That's, I mean, that's it's things like this. It's stories like this that makes Catholics weird. This is why people say things about us. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, look, when I go over there, so we went over there and, you know, did y'all see like some of the Eucharistic miracles or anything while y'all were in Rome? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so we did too. So when I was like posting on my Facebook page, like my personal Facebook page about, you know, oh, God, see Eucharistic miracles. Like all my Protestant friends were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's so weird, you know? And then like venerating a drop of Mother Teresa's blood. And I mean, I'm telling you, people think we are whack jobs and we are weird, but we, you know, have our reasons for doing what we do. So the best part, though, was seeing the uncorrupted finger of St. Catherine. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And you weren't supposed to take pictures, but I was like, there's an uncorrupted finger here. I'm going to sneak a picture. <laughs> I, I, know. I know. So I took a picture and then I brought it home and I was like showing everybody like, look at this finger. Like it's this many, you know, thousands of years old or whatever. And people are like, that is the weirdest freaking thing. You have a picture of somebody's dead finger on your, I'm like, well. Did you see well, her head? Yeah. That uh, is crazy. But take a picture of it. I see that. I saw, yeah, the head was insane. That's, and like, and then her, her mouth is, uh, decomposed because she came back and told one of her sisters that's because she gossiped. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Which really shut me up real, real quick. I was like, oh man. (laughs) I mean, not that anybody was ever concerned about me being incorruptible, but for the record, (laughs) yeah, I'm totally out now. Yeah, we'll we'll have to keep checking your tomb like every twenty years. <laughs> sure, sure. Be, you'll be dust by day three. Anyway, <laughs> but, but oh gosh, okay. So oh, this is this is. I really appreciate it's taking a lighter turn here because it was pretty heavy in the beginning. But I mean, I know that you've got a million things going on, and I respect all the things, and I want to make sure that you can get back to your babies. Number one, your husband, of course, and then as well your great work. So before we leave, I just want to make sure that I, and I'll add this, of course, in the show notes, but where can people get a hold of you? Where can they get a hold of? And then they were none. Can you give us some information on that? Yeah. So my website is Abby Johnson, A-B-B-Y Johnson.org. And there's a contact link up there at the top. Please read through the FAQs before you email me. Cause if somebody emails me about the Girl Scouts, I'm going to I don't know what. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I've got questions there that, you know, a lot of people ask me the same question. So I have definitely asked questions. You can contact me directly if your question is not addressed there. And then, and it does come to me and I am the one that responds. So, and then our website for the worker, what we do within the Renun is abortionworker.com. And we've got some great information on there. If you are out on the sidewalk, you know, we've got some printable flyers you can give to workers. And, you know, a lot of times our workers say about 70 percent of our workers say that they heard about and then there were none through sidewalk advocacy. So just somebody on the sidewalk saying, you know, 
hey, go to abortionworker.com. They can help you. So that's good. And we have some signs and things that you can take to FedEx or your local printing company and have those printed out if you're on the sidewalk. Awesome. So a lot of great resources there. I'm on the website right now. It is amazing. Beautifully done website too. So those are things that you can grab information on if you're wanting to know how you can get involved and what you can do. There's lots of free printables and things that Abby offers there with that. And then Abby, what can you do if you could give a challenge to our listeners today on anything on your heart, really? We just kind of keep this open. What could you challenge our listeners today? Well, you know, I... um a couple things. One, of course, you know, this is like my Sunday school answer. Like if you're not involved in the pro-life movement, please find your group of people to get involved with, whether it's your local pregnancy center, your, you know, your state legislative pro-life group, going and praying out in front of of your local abortion clinic. You know, 3,000 babies are killed every day by abortion. And so we need people out there on the front lines defending these children and their mothers. And so That's my first pitch. But my second thing is just to say to anyone that's listening who is a mom, I just want to challenge you to give yourself grace. I go online and I see so many posts from people and articles and all these things, just like mommy wars. And, you know, I'm doing this better than you and you need to do this for your kid. And I just, that can be really overwhelming, particularly for first time moms, new moms. And so, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening that is a woman, that is a mom, that you know what, you're doing an awesome job being a parent to your kid and you know what's best for your kid. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you not to get wrapped up in this mom shaming that we see online and just stay true to you and what you know to be best for your children. And if you need help, ask for it. Don't be scared to ask for help. There are people, I mean, my friends have kids and I'm like, please let me help you because I know how hard it is. And don't be scared to ask for help. There's people that are that are waiting and wanting to do that for you. So yeah, that's sort of it. I love it. I mean, I'm taking your challenge right now. I'm just l- listening to it, getting so much edification just as a mom myself being like, yes, I definitely need to hear that as well sometimes because it's so true. We can get on especially everything just being online and everything being so connected, we can just get to that place of comparison and constantly be looking what everybody else is doing or hear what everybody else is saying that that does not breathe life into our life and does not breathe peace. And it just makes us feel inadequate sometimes if we allow it to. So I second that challenge. That that, that is a very, very good one for all of us to take on. Well, and look, I mean, Instagram, that shows... A perfect picture that shows the picture that people want you to see. It doesn't show their every day, right? With their messy hair and, you know, their kid that rolls off the bed on accident or, you know, the (laughs) diaper poop that went all up their back and is in their hair and now is all under your fingernails. Like it doesn't show that, right? right? Like it shows this false image of perfection. And that's what it is. It's false. And so don't compare yourself to other people, particularly what you see online. I mean, look, yesterday, here's a real honest moment. Yesterday, I took my kids to the dentist. We go like every six months, six-ish months. And I take my kids to the dentist and the dentist looks at me and goes, your son has a lot of cavities. And I was like, yep. (laughs) Because if I'm honest, we're not great at brushing our teeth off in the house because those look to like choke each other. So 
you know, it's just, just do your thing, right? And this time in your life where things feel crazy and chaotic, it will pass. And the best advice I got from one of my friends I went to high school with, she, she was a Mormon. So she had like six kids by the time I had one, but she told me, she said, when I had Grace, my daughter, and she was really an experienced mom by this time, she said, Abby, she said, every three months gets easier when you have a baby. And so I, when I was up late at night and like just crying and so tired and trying to get her to latch on and all these problems, I kept that in my mind, like every three months, it's going to get easier. And you know what? She was right. And so, you know, just on to those knowing it's going to get easier. These difficult times are this difficult season in life that could be equally challenging or more challenging, but you just got, you just have to roll with it and don't compare yourself to other moms and other people because the things that you see online are not real life. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I completely agree. And we all should be doing a better job about being more, more real online. It would help out so many people. If anybody follows me, you know that on my Instagram, I rarely, you rarely see me on stage. I don't like Instagram my speaking events because I Instagram my real life of like the messy bun and my kids who are throwing massive fits and I'm just sitting there eating an ice cream cone in the background because <laughs> I don't know. That's just how I'm going to cope with it right now. So I, but whatever it is, I think we all do need to be more real and stop comparing, but wonderful. Abby, you are fantastic as always and a joy to be with and to speak with. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at the Do Something Beautiful podcast, your contribution is far greater than even what you're doing in the pro-life arena. Your contribution as just a strong woman and a friend and a mother and a wife is so great. And I'm so thankful for you. And I, I really am. I'm, I'm As your sister in Christ, I'm proud of you. And I just, I want to be a little bit like you. And I'm just so thankful that you are here and that you fight for all of us. Well, thank you so much. And it's an honor to see the work that you're doing as well. So, you know, eventually we'll like pair up and be, you know, super women do super <laughs> women duo or something. I don't know. We will one one of these days. But and that's <laughs> the beautiful thing because we all share in each other's successes. That's what being a family is in Christ. So th- with everything that you do and all the wins that you have, we all get to share in that. And so that's what's great about the family of Christ and being able to be together. So Thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart with us and your time with us today. And of course, thank you, my fantastic listeners on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I love y'all. Y'all are amazing and great and wonderful and kind and thoughtful. And I love hearing, I love hearing your comments from the podcast. It's so, so great. And remember, you know, I'm going to say it, but I really, really mean it. Whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. 